everybody. Welcome to the Legal Glass Ceilings podcast. My name is David Locke. I'm a QC at Landmark Chambers in London. And my guest today is one of the rising stars of the Family Law Bar in the Northwest in Leeds, Connie Purdy. Connie is a tenant at Spire Barristers in Leeds. She's a family practitioner specializing in children and works all over the Northeast. She finished her pupillage in January this year, having come to the law by a very interesting route that we'll explore in a minute. So has followed the route into the law very recently. Connie, welcome to Legal Glass Ceilings podcast. Thank you very much. Let's go back. Why did you decide that you wanted to spend your working life being a barrister, being a lawyer? Well, it, it, was, it was a late decision um, for me. I grew up in, with both of my parents working for the NHS. One's a doctor and, and the other was a health visitor. My mother's recently retired. Um, so I, I didn't know anything else. I, I'm not a person that has thought since I was 10 years old that this is the career I want to pursue. It's not something that I knew from an early age that that I knew that I needed to pick subjects which would lead me to this career. Like I said, it was, it was a late decision. After I picked my A-levels, which were two sciences and maths with, with a view to pursuing a medical career, I did a week's work experience with my dad at the hospital and without going into too much detail, realised it absolutely wasn't for me. Um, I, I did struggle with obtaining careers advice at school that I was basically left with, well, you've got maths, so go and do something to do with that at university. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. Prior to, to going to university, I really struggled in sixth form with uh, severe anxiety. It started just before I turned 17 and continued uh, throughout those, those two years. It had a big impact on my A-level results and I um, had to reset them. So I took a year out after, after school, I reset my A-levels, and then I was offered an unconditional offer to study financial maths at Newcastle. Can I just stop you there? Because there'll be lots of people listening to this who in one way or another have struggled with things, physical conditions, mental health conditions, and you mentioned you suffered from anxiety. Now, that's a hidden problem but it's actually a very common problem. Can you help us with how it manifested itself? Yeah, absolutely. So the way that it manifested itself, I was out for a meal the evening before my 17th birthday. And on the way home, I started feeling quite sick, uh, short of breath. I felt a sort of pain in my stomach, which just, it felt like tension. And I just thought, oh, maybe I've just eaten too much. I'll be fine. And um, went home that evening tried to go to sleep and couldn't. And these symptoms, as I'd call them, they just didn't stop. The whole night I was awake, um, I felt exactly, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like my throat was tightening um, and I didn't know what was causing it, which then in turn makes it worse because you've got no control over the situation. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know what's triggered it. Um, and you can get into a, a vicious cycle with it, which is exactly what happened to me, is that I, if I had a, an anxiety attack like that on one evening, 
it would then manifest the next night and you'd think, oh, it's going to happen again. I'm not going to get any sleep. I know that I need to because, for example, I need to go to school or I need to, to do homework and, and things like that. And that's, that's exactly what happened to me is that it just, I got into a vicious cycle with it. And did you end up taking a lot of time off school as a result? I did, yeah. So it was usually the, the, on the evenings where I didn't get any sleep at all, the next morning I would still have those anxious feelings, feeling sick, feeling short of breath. And it, and it just got to the point where I said to, to my mum and dad, I said, I just can't go to school. I feel so unwell. And I, I'm completely drained when you, when you lose that much sleep, especially at, I think at, at that age and you don't know what's happening. It just got to the point where I, I, I think in year 12, so the p- penultimate year at school, there was rarely a week where I attended five days, which obviously had a huge impact on, on my A-level results. And later, a few years later, did you have properly focused treatment to help understand what was going on in your brain that resulted in these repeated anxiety attacks? Yeah, I went through, went through quite a long process. I think anyone that has had, the, had similar difficulties knows that it can be quite difficult to get to the bottom of and to get the right treatment. I ended up having cognitive behavioural therapy for a series, of, a series of weeks that would go through the reasoning behind perhaps feeling that way and trying to understand that it's... it's it's a reaction that you can't control as opposed to trying to control it yourself and failing to do so, which then just makes it worse. So I think that definitely helps with coping strategies. It, it doesn't resolve the problem. I don't think there will, there will, I will ever not suffer from, from, you know, anxiety at times. Um, but it does help with coping mechanisms. Definitely. So you're a student, you're doing a, f- I think you went to Newcastle to do a finance degree and yeah. financial maths. And at some point you thought to yourself, actually, I don't really want to be the next senior partner of PwC. I'd like to be a lawyer instead. What happened? That, that's absolutely what happened. All of my um, fellow students at the time, it was in my second year at Newcastle and they were all applying for graduate schemes at KPMG PwC um, delight and the like and I was I was looking at these application forms and I was thinking I don't want to do this so I was faced with another crossroads another late decision to make when everyone around me seemed to know what they wanted to do and it although it sounds perhaps somewhat cliche I started binge watching legal American dramas such as Suits and The Good Wife instead of perhaps learning the page long mathematical proofs that I should have been should have been looking at Um, and I felt that although they're not reflective of of real life law of course they're not there are there were skills and qualities there that I felt that I had that I could apply to um, a legal career at that time my twin cousins who are the same age as me they lived in they live in Ireland and they had just completed law degrees over there in, in Northern Ireland um, neither of them at that point had done any vocational study or, or qualified as, as lawyers. Um, but I spoke to them about it and I said, you know, is, do you think this is something that would suit me? And they were like, yeah, absolutely, go for it. So it was at that point that I looked into the graduate diploma in law and know that, noted that the University of Law did that course and they did it in York, which was quite close to my home in Hull. 
So I thought I'll go to the open day, see what it's about and, uh, and then see where we go from there. Uh, and that's exactly Before you get onto that, there's something you said I want to pick up on, which is that you thought there's something about you that could do that job. What was that something? So to do, basically, when I went to university, at that time, I was thinking, maths is what I'm good at. It involves analysis, it involves evaluation, and those are two qualities that are so important to a career as a lawyer. I feel like I, that's, that's the type of person that I am. I, I can look at a problem and I can work it out, and that's what they seem to be doing in, these, in the legal dramas that I watched and also in, in high-profile cases that I read at the time. That's fascinating because one of our earlier interviewees, Rosalind Cobain, who's a very experienced listener, said that the most useful skill is issue spotting. It's working out what are the real issues in a case and the sort of analytical brain that I think you're talking about is actually the, seems to me to be the same thing. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely what I'm talking about. It's being able to look at problems and finding different solutions to them. And I think it's so important in a job like ours that you can present these different you know, resolutions to issues. And I think having a mathematical background, although I didn't particularly enjoy doing a maths degree, it's definitely beneficial in, in this career. Well, of course, we deal with people problems not problems that are just on a page with a bunch of numbers. So how did you translate your mathematical skills, your mathematical analytic skills into people analysis skills, where actually what you're doing is dealing with people who want mutually inconsistent things? There are definitely some similarities between them. I appreciate that dealing with numbers and dealing with people are completely different. But if you take a step back and take perhaps the emotion out of things and look at things objectively in our cases. Um, for example, if you've got two parents that are arguing over uh, how much time a child should spend with each of them, you can take a step back from that and look at different options where perhaps there may be areas for compromise, there may be areas where you know, one party will, will win effectively in part of their case and, and another will win in, in theirs. And I think being able to look at problems such as that in an analytical and evaluative way and um, helps so much within our profession. Armed with these skills you went and studied for the GDL in York and I think it's no secret you you did rather well. <laughs> <laughs> I did okay. Yeah. I think you did outstanding didn't you? Yeah yeah it's a distinct a distinction in in the GDL and then and then an outstanding in the bar so I think I've possibly pitched the right area in the end yeah and and then you you come to the perhaps the biggest hurdle of all which is turning your academic uh, your qualifications into a career finding a slot to start how did you go about that it's everyone knows how difficult it is it is to get to get pupillage and i had the difficulty of having a two-two I was told repeatedly that having a 2-2 would make it almost impossible for me to, at that time, to get a training contract or, or a pupillage. And, and that was even despite the results that I've got in, in the GDL and the BPTC. So I knew that in order to um, make my application stand out to Chambers, I needed to 
to make it to do something different. Um, when you are, when you apply for pupillage, there are the standard criteria that that you need to meet. You need to have academic excellence. Although I am on a personal mission to try and change Chambers' approach to that, um, in that I think it should be looked at in in the whole of the circumstances as opposed to just a, a grade on on paper. And you also need to have the general work experience, mooting, marshalling, and mini pupillages. And then finally, um, voluntary work. They seem to be the check boxes that you need to have on every application. So then you need to start looking outside of those things. And I really don't think that you can underestimate what the people that are reading your application want to see. It could be something so out of the box that you might have a hobby that's in, that's in common with someone that's reading your application. Or you may have a part-time job alongside doing the, the BPTC that, some, that someone can relate to. Um, I was quite fortunate in my career prior to starting pupillage. I was presented with opportunities. And I think one, of, one, of, one piece of advice that I give to everybody is when you are presented with these lucky opportunities, you just have to take them. So, for example, at Northumbria University, where I did the BPTC, there was an option to work in the student law office as your optional modules. And that involved working on family law cases, so perhaps an early indication of what I now um, specialise in, and assisting those people that are not eligible for legal aid. So you're getting real life work experience before you even finish the BPTC. Um, secondly, during the BPTC, our provider ran a comp an essay writing competition, which um, I won alongside a another another girl who was actually ended up being my best friend. Um, we both received an internship in America at an international human rights nonprofit organisation uh, and a financial prize to fund the travel and accommodation there. These experiences are absolutely not something that you come across every day, and if they hadn't effectively been presented to me, they may not have been something that I found. And they're both things that have regularly come up in pupillage interviews. And then, um, as I mentioned, you need to have something different on your CV, I think, to, to, in order to stand out, especially if you've got, if you don't have exactly what Chambers are looking for in terms of a 2-1, you need to have something else. And that one of the most repeated topics in my pupillage interviews was the fact that I'd worked for um, the Right Honourable Alan Johnson, who was, who was then an MP at the House of Commons. And the, the way that that came about is that I cheekily turned up at his clinic um, in my local constituency and asked him, can I come and do some work experience with you? Because I knew that it would involve similar skills, not exactly the same, but it's, it's something different to have. And he was like, absolutely. And then that led to me working for him permanently prior to him stepping down. He's a great man. He, he had an office next to mine when we were both MPs in the House of Commons. Um, and uh, I'm very fond of him. So what you were doing was starting with some disadvantages, your anxiety, your tutu, building an alternative CV which said look I'm a really interesting person and I've done all these relevant things so 
please look beyond the things that are challenging, like a 2-2. And it worked for you. Um, where did you do your pupillage? It did. It took a while to get there. And I think a lot of people need to realise that it can take a while. It took almost three years for me to be offered pupillage after I was called to the bar. Um, I ended up doing pupillage in-house at a solicitor's firm. Um, it's Pepperell Solicitors in Hull, but they did have a, ch a chambers attached to them called Estuary Chambers, which is no longer um, in existence. That's where I did my pupillage. And that's another thing that comes out of your story, which is that it's the, the benefit of persistence. People coming into the legal profession have to knock on the door quite often before they get in and sometimes think that if you don't get, if the door isn't answered the first time, there must be something wrong with you, you should go off and, and, and do something else. But your history shows that if you keep knocking at the door, eventually it opens. Is that right? Absolutely. You've got to just keep going. I mean, the amount of knockbacks that most people will get in this process is enormous. And it's those that keep going and those that are determined and resilient in the face of that adversity are the ones that will, that will ultimately succeed. So when you get a knockback, it's obviously really disappointing but you keep building your CV, you keep doing the relevant stuff to make you different, you keep building your skill set, and you go back and try again, like a trampoline. Absolutely, and I think that it's actually, it, it transfers into practice, because you will, for example, you will do a case, you may make a mistake within that case, or you may not do something as, as well as you wish to do, so you come back, you reflect on it, and you go again. And the same applies to pupillage applications or trying to get a job in, in this profession, in that the first time you apply, you are very unlikely to be successful. But each time you go back, you improve your application, you have more to talk about, and, and more importantly, those interviewing you have more to talk to you about, which I think is, is, is not recognised as much as it should be is in that the pupillage panels are generally made up of, of people like us, like-minded people, not necessarily experts in interviewing. Um, and we want something interesting to talk about just as much as the applicant wants to tell us something interesting. The kind of messages for those coming through are be persistent and be interesting. Is that right? Yes, I, I also think that people, that people don't place enough importance on things like hobbies and interests. At the chambers that I eventually got pupillage at, the head of chambers said to me, well, the thing that, point, that stood out on your CV, um, Connie, is the fact that you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I mean, I hope that's not the only reason, but, you know, it's, it's things like that that people don't necessarily see as important. I don't think I ever thought anyone would even read that part, but... It's something that people pick up on. Well, as a lifetime gooner, I would, of course, naturally have put you instantly <laughs> in the bottom of the pile. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's great to show what you're doing is, is, is saying as part of your interview, you're a rounded person. You've got interests outside the law. When you made it into practice, when you got into pepperols, you did your pupillage, 
What were the skills that you'd learned from the three years of knocking on the door that really came in useful? Very, very good question. I think having worked as a county court advocate for the best part of two years, that really helped with effectively gaining an insight into the day-to-day life of a self-employed lawyer because although it was on a, on a lesser scale, uh, the topics were different, you were still had to run a caseload, you had to prepare cases, apply facts to cases, you had to turn up in front of a judge every single day and I think having those links pr- prior to starting pupillage such as relationships with the judiciary, relationships with local solicitors and relationships with local court staff perhaps most importantly is is hugely beneficial to to going into pupillage Um, in terms of other skills and qualities i've mentioned analysis and evaluation skills they're highly important and i think the most important feature of, of those three years is the development of my confidence as somebody that suffers with anxiety, it is something that can take a knock and it still does. I think when you have a bad day, that's something that can, that can really trouble you. But having those three years of experience before coming into pupillage, it definitely helped with, with confidence. And I think also having to keep knocking on the door. I mean, I I lost track of how many final round interviews I got for, for pupillage before I was offered it you have the determination and the resilience that's needed in this career to face the knockbacks that we that we face every day. And it's a very brave decision for a young person who's got anxiety in the background to do our job where the ups are very good and the downs are very bad and where especially if you're self-employed sometimes it could be quite a lonely profession How do you manage your mental health now that you're in practice and doing cases day after day? I think that it's important to stay busy. It gives you the smallest amount of time as possible to effectively go over time and time again what you did in a case, what you could have done better. You don't blame yourself for perhaps things going against you, which of course is it's nothing to do with you. And, and the way to manage that is, I think that after every case, take however long, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour to reflect on the case. If something did go wrong, make a note of it. And, and I know that going forward, I won't do that again because it, it's happened. But this, this profession is such a steep learning curve and it's not a learning curve that finishes when you finish pupillage. It's something that carries on going. I can't remember a case where I haven't learned something. No, and, I, I mean, I'm 60 and, and I'm still learning. Um, I'm still making mistakes and still improving. But also I find these days that I sit in my room and there's a constant stream of juniors coming in just saying, oh, can I run this past you? How important is it to make use of the senior members in chambers who've probably been around that particular track before and might might be able to give you some advice. I cannot underestimate the importance, the importance of doing that. At Spire, it's well known that the email chain is always open. If anyone wants to ask a question, that is sent around the whole of 
perhaps the family side of chambers, the court of protection side of chambers, or, or the entirety of chambers, and someone will always get back to you. And in, in sometimes you just don't have the time to look every single thing up. And to have that available to you, it reduces your stress, it reduces the pressures on your time, and you know that it's coming from a, a reliable source. I, I ask senior members of chambers for help on cases all of the time, even just to, to bounce ideas off. So it might be something so simple, but you just think, oh, is this a good idea? And it helps so much to, to speak it through with somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I can assure you, it doesn't stop when you come out of pupillage. I was sitting in bed on Sunday morning at eight o'clock and my phone went and it was a friend of mine who's another public law silk who said, can I, can I just, can I just kind of run this past you? So it just carries on your whole life. And it's very quick, Connie, before you're the person to whom they're coming to for advice. It, it, it won't be long. <laughs> can I ask you this? What's the best piece of advice anyone's ever given you in this crazy profession that we do? I think the best best piece of advice that I've been given and possibly being given at a time when it's exactly what I wanted to do was don't give up resilience and determination will make you a successful barrister and perhaps an even more successful barrister if you than if you hadn't gone through the ups and downs and where do you see yourself in five years time I hopefully see myself doing the same job <laughs> I hope that I am a lot better at it. I hope that I continue on my learning curve and on my, on my learning process. And in five years time, I hope I am the person that people can come to and ask me questions and I will be able to repay the favours that I've been given. Um, and I also hope that in five years time, we as a profession are much further on in terms of how we look at applications how we look at applicants in in the round and um, I know that my chambers have recently removed their 2-1 requirement for um, pupillage applicants and that they will now be looking at, at applications including all of the person's circumstances and looking at the person as opposed to the grades on on a piece of paper yeah and no, I my chambers have we've taken away the where did you go to university question We've taken away the surnames. I think there's a big push at the bar, and I'm sure it's the same as solicitors' firms. If anything, the solicitors' firms are ahead of us in trying to make sure that we're that we're talent spotting, that we're looking for potential. And so, this is the final question I want to ask you, which is this: There'll be a lot of people listening to this who are where you were five years ago, who are thinking of a career and thinking, "How on earth do I get in?" What would you say to them, to the talented, the committed, knowing that not everyone's going to get in because there's not enough room, but for some, there is space? Yes, there is space. And I think it's so important that people who perhaps don't fit that perfect mould of the first class degree, 100 mini pupillages, that they don't feel like just because they didn't go to it, a red brick university or they don't have you know top class marks that they feel that they can't apply for for pupillage i think the most important piece of advice that i would give to anybody in that position that thinks mm, i could maybe do it but i don't know if i'm the right fit is to absolutely ignore every single person that tells you that you can't do it 
you have to be realistic that it's an, it's an exceptionally difficult profession to get into. But if you think you can do it, and if you think that you have the skills and qualities and the talent to do it, then please don't give up on a dream just because someone thinks that you're not the right fit, because there is no right fit. This profession is open to everybody. Connie, having chatted to you for the last half an hour, I have absolutely no doubt that you've got a superb future ahead of you. Your clients will be privileged to have the benefit of your services. But thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with all of us this afternoon. And I wish you every success in the future. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it.